welcome to Footnotes and Witness. My name is Deborah J. McKenzie, and this is the podcast where we study the Bible to see Jesus rightly and find Him in our own stories. Let us be faithful witnesses to His character and glory. All this season, I've been trying to help you figure out how to tell your 10-minute testimony. This is a perfect step to take in your faith journey to find out where you are and where you've been, so that way you can trust in what's coming next. It's also just a really good skill that I think we should all practice. It's a great thing to have in your back pocket. So we've been talking about just the steps logistically, how to do that. I had an interview last week with my friend Carol. If you haven't heard it, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to it. And she gave her witness testimony about what it was like to actually write a testimony and then shared her testimony with us. Today, I'm going to talk to you about your 10-minute testimony. I'm actually going to give you my 10-minute testimony, and then I'm going to show you what that looks like to put it in a two-minute testimony. And then I'm going to give you some of those tips and tricks of how to extend that into your 30-minute testimony. I have found that one of these three kind of time increments is usually what you're going to need. 10 minutes is great in a small group when you're just getting to know people. 30 minutes is like a little bit more intimate. You're giving more details. And that two-minute testimony is that something you should know, something that you should be able to say if someone asks you about your faith, or tell me a little bit about yourself. This is the first thing that you want to say. We have such a cultural idea that when somebody says, tell me about yourself, you immediately launch into your job, how many kids you have, how long you've been married. But if we truly believe that we have been saved from a life walking dead in sin, then this should be the first thing that we tell people our two-minute testimony, just a little bit about your faith. Then they might ask, okay, well, what do you do for a job? And then you know, they're not interested. That's okay. And you can move on to other things. But what if we all as Christians, what if this was the first thing that we said to people when we were making new friends? Let me tell you a little bit about my Savior and what he's done for me. What an amazing testimony that alone is, that that's the first thing that we say to people. So your two-minute testimony is really valuable. We're going to start with our 10-minute. I'm going to show you what it looks like in a two-minute, and then we're going to talk about what it looks like to expand that out to 30 minutes. Hey, y'all. My name is Deborah J. McKenzie, and I want to share a little with you about my story, the things I've seen, and why I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, I was raised in the Bible Belt of America, and I never really understood what that meant until I actually left it and moved to California a few years ago. I think what the Bible Belt basically means is that Christianity is so pervasive in that whole area and culture of the country that it's culturally normal for you to go to church rather than to not go to church. Like someone's going to take you. It might be your grandma, your aunt, but someone's taking you to church. Summers are a time for VBS, vacation Bible school, and Bible bowls. And I've also decided that it means a lot of those people, me included, can't really contemplate what it means to live without God. And there's an entitlement to it, actually. We decide whether we're going to choose to believe or not, I guess. Now, I was raised in the church. My parents helped plant a church when I was young, and that church was family. 
I've always known about Jesus, the Son of God. I've always known that the Holy Spirit is there for anyone who chooses to accept. I've also known that there are other religions, other gods, other faiths. But I've also witnessed throughout my life some things that made it very clear to me that I follow the one true God. Now, I wasn't always a good follower. God and I have had some pretty intense fights over the years. When I was seven, my two-year-old cousin, Tori, well, she died instantly in a car crash. It was an accident. It had been raining and it was a huge pileup. There were lots of people involved. But this was my first confrontation of reality and belief in my life. My faith and my belief just crashed. So what was my conclusion? Well, how could God be good when innocent children die? It wasn't someone's free will that caused the accident. It wasn't necessary. So why would God allow it? Now, my parents, they did the best that they could with what they had. But all three of us, my two sisters and I, we have some pretty deep damage. Their marriage was not always great. (laughs) I'm the youngest, so I saw some of the worst of it. And their divorce was brutal. But they were both believers, and they prayed and prayed. They helped plant a church. They know their Bible. My dad went to seminary. So my conclusion as a young teenager, why wouldn't God fix it? Why wouldn't he manage their hearts? Why wouldn't he heal their marriage? After that, my mother, trying to survive that single parent life with out-of-control teenagers, well, she couldn't watch me all the time. She had to work. She had to travel to that job. So I was left to my own devices. And unfortunately, I was groomed by an older man who would become my perpetrator. And he made the next years of my life a living hell. So why wouldn't God have stopped it? I couldn't deny that there was a God, but my conclusions over the years of my reality and my faith kind of clashing, well, my conclusion was that I didn't want to speak to him anymore. Through binge alcoholism and a few years later, I ran straight into God at work. I believe that God can get to you anywhere. And I was obsessed with working. So that's where he chose to meet me. I ended up getting a job thanks to my oldest sister, Nicole, at an evangelical women's conference. It was called Women of Faith. And I was on the road staff. We traveled 32 cities between February and November every week. I loved being on the road. I was trying to get my life back together, but I was young and I just didn't quite know how. The patience and compassion from my bosses and my workmates, it's a treasure, and I definitely didn't deserve it. I was so broken and angry, and I just didn't know how to not be those things. But it's really hard to run from Jesus when your job is talking about him more than 10 hours a day. One of the years on tour, we had the pleasure of a singer and author named Natalie Grant. I love her voice. I love listening to her sing. She sang and she told her testimony at a conference on Friday nights. And Friday was the longest day for the staff. We didn't have a lot of breaks where we could actually leave our merchandise booths. That year, she was singing a song called Held. And it's written about a baby who dies in his crib, but God's good anyway. I would always try and avoid this song. At this point in my faith, the why questions were pretty much all I had to say to God. Why would you let babies die? Why do you let good people get hurt so deep? The entire basis of the song like offended me. I couldn't stand it. But I adored Natalie and I love listening to her sing. But that song, whew, it hurt. 
and the bitterness grew each time I heard it. I was waiting, though, one night to hear the song that she sang after Held. It's called It Is Well. It's an old hymn, and it's absolutely one of my favorite songs of all time. And it's a good set for a stadium of 20,000 women who just listened to Natalie's testimony. The song Held tells you that even when bad things happen, God will hold you. And It Is Well sings about the peace that passes understanding for the one who believes in God. At some point, God knew I was about to break. And it just so happened, like in Ruth, when she just so happened to be in Boaz's field, that I got a break during Natalie's set, and I decided to go in to listen to her sing It Is Well. But I got there just in time for her to sing Held. The beginning verse is this. Two months is too little. They let him go. They had no sudden healing. To think that Providence would take a child from his mother while she prays is appalling. Who told us we'd be rescued? What has changed and why should we be saved from nightmares? We're asking why this happens to us who have died to live. It's unfair. This is what it means to be held. How it feels when the sacred is torn from your life and you survive. This is what it is to be loved and to know that the promise was when everything fell, we'd be held. Well, I started crying, of course. I was alone. No one was around me. I was in the dark, very back of the arena. And I just decided to just deal with the stress and Tori and the memories and just cry. And this is when everything changed. God spoke to me. And it was so clear that I actually turned around to see who was there. There was no ignoring this voice. My silent treatment was not working anymore. But God spoke to me so tenderly about my grief. And then I started to picture that bundle of red curls that was my cousin Tori. And suddenly, I felt joy. At her memory, I felt joy for having known her and gratitude for hearing her laugh. God told me not to mourn her anymore, but to remember her with love and joy. That he wanted Tori to be remembered, not mourned. That time was past and I wasn't to be sad anymore. My eyes actually dried up immediately, not out of shame or fierce determination, as was my usual custom, but because I truly did not feel the grief anymore. God spoke to me and redeemed my grief. He gave me a peace that passes understanding. It still takes me by surprise that I need to constantly be reminded of this. I write my testimony almost annually, and I always am grateful for the reminder. In that piece, what I got is this. God is in charge, and only He can see all that there is. He is the only one big enough for the throne and all the responsibilities that come with it. Every why question is me trying to shove God out of His throne and sit there myself. I want to know. I want to understand. I want to be able to claim what is good and what is bad. I can see why some things happened. I can reason out some of the hindsight for things in my field of view. There are some things, though, that do not have any understanding on this side of life. And that's where we need to trust. So I remember, I look back and I remember how and where God showed up for me. And it changes the perspective. I don't know why car accidents happen, but God changed my perspective. 
I only remembered the two minutes when Tori passed. But God allowed me to look at the two years that came before that and all the joy that came with it. There are still areas that grieve me to watch, people I care about and love that are repeating mistakes and hurting themselves and turning from God. And it is hard to trust in those moments. It's hard to get out of God's throne. I want to help. I want to give the answers. But I'm not the Savior. (laughs) And I have to remember what happened in that arena. I have to remember the groceries that miraculously showed up at my door twice when my husband and I were expecting our first and we were so broke. I have to remember this stranger that God sent to prophesy over me at a coffee shop when I prayed that morning to be released from my faith because I was too angry to believe in God anymore. I get to remember the gentleness of friends who came to our side when we walked through the worst year of our marriage. Jesus Christ humbled himself to come and walk amongst us. He gently and carefully walks with us, trying to lead us to somewhere better. He came so when God tells us that he will hold us and love us, we can believe it. And I beg you, today, believe it. He's worth it. Okay, about 10 minutes. I was able to identify one remembrance stone and expand on that and give some details. That's God talking to me in the arena. And then I just listed off some other remembrance stones, the groceries, the friends, and those all have specific memories and remembrance stones that go with them. So how do we kind of condense this down into two minutes? Well, think about what I just said, and then here's the two-minute kind of summary version. I grew up in the church, and I always knew about God and His Son, Jesus. What I didn't have was a relationship with either. I knew things, but not the person. I had facts, but not an emotional connection. So reality crushed the flawed faith that I had. God pursued me and met me through friends and miracles, and he showed me that I was loved and that I was cared for. He slowly pursued me and brought me back to his church. I started to have community again. Now, that didn't mean that life just stopped being hard, but it does mean that I had a peace and a hope that was actually bigger than reality. It is bigger than the pain and the losses. Jesus isn't a magic trick, and it doesn't always happen overnight. It took me years to just try and trust God, and then it took years to try and let friends in and trust them. It took time to become an honest and vulnerable friend myself, and then it took a few more years to learn how to read God's Word and hear the testimonies of those who came before us. My faith isn't perfect, and I don't know all the answers, and I certainly have a lot more to study. I'm very excited, though, to spend the rest of my life doing that. But I also don't know everything about my husband or my children. I adore that they're in my life, that God blessed me with a family, but I don't know what the future holds for any of these relationships. But I'm excited to get to know my kids as adults, to live life with my husband and go through the different seasons with him and to have God walking with us all the way. Relationships take time and effort, and I have learned the hard way that God is worth 
the time, and the effort. Just like I want to continue to get to know my kids as they change, and I want to continue to get to know my husband as we go through life, I want to continue to get to know God deeper and our relationship to be stronger because he's worth it. And that is the best news that I can ever share. So hopefully that kind of illustrates the point of the 10 minute testimony, answering all those questions that we went over together. How did you come to faith? What are some ways that God has shown up for you? And what does your future look like? What does your spiritual life right now look like? And hopefully you can see I've answered those in a little bit more detail in the 10-minute testimony. And I've touched on all of them, but not gone into any detail in the two-minute testimony. So now I know how to start the conversation. And if someone seems genuinely engaged, I have a place where I can tell a specific story. So what does the 30-minute testimony look like? This is going to be great for your small groups, or maybe you're asked to talk at a luncheon or a women's group, or maybe a men's group Saturday morning. This is a really good time to get to know one another in those kind of smaller settings or at a bigger setting. (laughs) So that 30-minute testimony is going to look like your 10-minute but with a few of those examples. So I told a specific story about being in the arena and having God speak to me in my life about grief, but I could expand in those other examples, tell exactly how those groceries appeared on my doorstep. (laughs) Well, I guess the story is, I don't know how they appeared there. We were out of food. I was going to have to go to a food bank the next day, prayed, The next morning I got up and there was a cooler on my porch full of groceries. So I guess there really isn't like a story of how, but you get what I'm saying. Take those remembrance stones and expand them out and give a little bit more detail. And the thing is, remember, you're the only one who can tell this story. Now, I will point out that there are a couple of things in my story that involve other people. So both of my parents know that I give testimonies and part of their marriage and their divorce is part of that. It's a huge part of my life, but I've talked to each of them about it and they know that this is what I do with my life. And there are some things that include my sister and my perpetrator. Like there are specific people who have big parts of my story, which are not actually totally appropriate for me to say definitely not on a national platform like a podcast. So there is a time and a place for the details that you choose. There's also respect and patience and compassion for which details you choose to share with whom and when. So all those things keep in mind, who is your audience? Like who are you speaking to? Because remember, if you're just getting to know someone and they say, hey, I'd like to know more about you. And you're excited, you're ready, you have your two minute testimony in front of you. Well, at least you've practiced it, and you kind of know what you want to say. Well, if they're not a believer, and they've never grown up in church, you want to avoid Christian words. (laughs) So we say a lot of weird words (laughs) in this kind of religion, we have sanctification and sacrifice and propitiation, which not everybody uses that word, but you know what I'm saying? Like we say weird things. And so you just want to be careful of who you're speaking to because you want them to be able to hear you. So I may not say things like, God rescued me from my sin, or I've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, because those are very Christian terms. 
I can say that in my sin of binge alcoholism, God met me with other people who were compassionate and helped lead me out of that life, right? Like there's another way to say it. So this is our season ending episode, and I'm really excited. I really hope that you have walked this journey with me, that you have taken some notes, you've written it down, and maybe even actually written your 10-minute testimony. And hopefully after today, you can kind of just jot down at the bottom your two-minute testimony. So I will just give you like a very general idea in 18 print font or size font. I don't know how you say that. I'm not good with technology, but 18 size font. It, a two-minute testimony is going to take up about two pages, double-spaced. And I double-space anything that I want to say out loud because it gives me a little bit of room to kind of process as I'm reading. But that's me. You're going to find a way that works really well for you. And if you've gone the route where you have recorded your voice but not written it down in like a voice memo, that's okay too. So just put all your answers back to back and then you can kind of hear it. If you want to have it written out so that way you can save it, just press play and dictate to yourself and type it out as you're listening. If that's really complicated, you can ask somebody for help, of course, or there's like apps where you can actually have it a transcript written out for you, but sometimes they're not free. Hopefully I have taken away all of your excuses <laughs> to not write your testimony. This gives you kind of a blueprint of how to do it. It's definitely not the only way and it is definitely not a perfect way, but it's a way that I've had a lot of success with and being able to teach it to others. Other people have been able to do it also. So hopefully it's at least a blueprint for you to be able to start working on it. It really is an amazing thing to do with your faith and you just have no idea what God can do with it. So sometimes just writing your testimony can feel like jumping off the cliff, but change the perspective. Remember, it's not jumping off the cliff to your doom. It's a single drop of water falling into a calm lake and God's in control. He's going to decide where the ripples go and who they affect. It is always so humbling to share your story and feel like you did a terrible job, or you cried all the way through it, or you couldn't look up from your paper, or maybe you stumbled over your words. And yet, you were able to give someone hope. You were able, just by sharing your story, to help someone else not feel so alone that they've also felt like that. And that is such an amazing gift. And I truly believe this is how we can help make the church a safe place for people again, that we can be in community, that we can share with one another. And that means that we'll have compassion for one another because we'll understand their stories. A person who's had an abortion isn't a statistic on a spreadsheet anymore. It's somebody that you know, and maybe you're not so quick to judge anymore, or maybe someone who's struggled with addiction. Now you know who they are, and it puts a face to the problem, and it helps you be able to pray for those people in a more earnest way. Sharing our deep, dark secrets is one of the ways that we can overcome our culture that says to hide everything away, to be ashamed, to feel bad about the mistakes that you've made, because you shouldn't let anyone know, because if anyone knew, 
they would think differently about you. If anyone knew, they wouldn't like you as much. They wouldn't be your friend. And that is what separates us. And Jesus came and had all kinds of people at his table. And we can see from scripture over and over again that God has a seat at his table for everyone. Everyone is invited. And I think, and I've seen, that this is a really good way to get there, just by sharing our stories. It's definitely worth your time because it's his story and he's worth it. All right, y'all, that's a wrap for season three. I'm so excited. I'm sure I should probably be a little bit more organized and have the same number of episodes per season, whatever. But it's really just about topics, things that I feel are really important to share and somewhat have a common theme. So that being said, next season, season four, is going to be all about those random things in the Bible. What are they there for? What are we supposed to do with them? Things like genealogies. Like, is it really important to have all these lists of names? And why do we have such specific instructions about things that have nothing to do with us today? Why are they in our Bible? How can they help us see God? How do they help us see Jesus more rightly? What do we do with them? So I'm excited, and I hope you'll join me next week for the beginning of season four in Footnotes and Witness. Thanks, y'all.